Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I'm joined by Chris Sherrod, Chris Legg, and Bryn Starnes. This is Reconstructed Faith. Well, welcome back to the Reconstructed Faith Podcast. My name is Colson Lechner, alongside my partners in crime, Bryn Starnes and Chris Legg. Chris Sherrod is not joining us today, but we'll get him another time soon. Um, and today we are continuing our conversation about sexism in the Bible and not refuting what people are talking about necessarily, but but we are addressing what mm-hmm. uh, what we've what especially Bryn, what you have said you have encountered mm-hmm. in you know forums or online or just hearing in different conversation. I don't know how would you, how would you say yeah. what you've encountered? Well, yeah, I mean, I think we've all probably heard about it or encountered it, but I think, like I said at the beginning of the first episode, which I guess now we're on episode three um, of yeah, this, of but sexism, yeah. right. But I, I feel, I think we all feel strongly about it, but I feel particularly strongly about it just because I think it, it can really affect your view of um, scripture and the Lord as a woman, if you have an incorrect view yeah, and um, can really be transformational to, to understand some of this. And a lot of it's presented in a way that is really confusing and really harsh and does seem like the Bible is oppressive to women if you don't understand it correctly. So yeah. that's what we're kind of trying to walk through a lot of these things to understand the correct biblical interpretation for that. And using purpose. good for sure. Using, using good hermeneutics. Right. For yeah. that. The other yeah. thing I wanted to say is I know Chris is feeling or coming off of not feeling well, so voices yeah. may sound yeah. a little bit different. <laughs> we may need to record um, our thing like I can I can do my go. James Earl Jones voice. Nice. Now. It does sound it does sound <laughs> very good. This very good. is CNN. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty good, huh? I th- I think so. And yeah. I just came back in the country, so that's if right. I say weird things. Just that's right. Mark Pops it over up into to Spanish it. all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah Brin's been yeah, in, the, in the DR. <laughs> no, it's um, more like if I say something off the wall, just yeah. talk it up to lots of travel. Exactly. <laughs> so we're gonna be we're gonna be talking about some things, continuing from the Old Testament and then kind of transitioning over to more New Testament things as well. Yep. Mm-hmm. Correct? Yep. Yeah. Last week, last time when we were talking, Brian, you had mentioned, and we had to kind of table it for lack of time, but you had mm-hmm. mentioned the uh, the response that you've seen to the rape laws in Deuteronomy. And so mm-hmm. if you want to bring that back to the table, and then we can discuss that a little bit. It'd be great. Yeah. So um, one of the, we addressed a lot of the different things in the Old Testament that are misunderstood. Um but I'm looking up the actual reference. I believe it is Deuteronomy 22, 28. And we thought we'd circle back to it because we didn't really cover it when we briefly mentioned it, but it is one that is brought up a lot because if you misunderstand it or misinterpret it, it is very, very offensive and very hard to, um, I think, move forward from reading. And so, and the verse says, and it's interesting because we'll talk about it, but the, the, the versions of this verse that I've read online basically are saying that the Bible is promoting that women had to marry their rapist. So right. like if a man, let me pull it up. Um, and then we did some, some further digging and wanted to unpack it just because it is a common one that's stated. Um, well, and see. if you just hear that and you don't understand the context, that does sound very oppressive. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And it's, it's important. We'll, we'll, we'll keep unpacking this before we're done today, but that 
There are some passages, certainly, that when we look at them, it's hard for us to wrap our brain around them now, four or 5,000 years after they were written or commanded. Um, I I tell people that that the, the slam dunk for Christianity and even for Jewish law is that for its day, it was ridiculously um, uh, progressive. Mm-hmm. Like for its day, there's nothing even comes close for how it protected women, for how it treated women, mm-hmm. New Testament and Old Testament. Like as compared to its contemporaries, it's decades, centuries ahead of anything yeah. else mm-hmm. by our modern standards. But that doesn't necessarily rescue us from a difficult conversation, which is, but it still feels like we are decades or centuries further along than it is. Mm-hmm. And if it was commanded by God. Right. What does that mean? What does that mean? Do, yeah. have, are we now more moral than God's laws for God's people that we're better at this than God was at creating them for his people? Right. And and that is there's no doubt that that is a very real question that we mm-hmm. have to wrestle with is this progressive nature of God revealing to his people the right way to do things. And then also recognizing not necessarily what we're talking about today is that sometimes we're now the one who's wrong. Yeah. And so when we say, man, we, we have so much better women's rights today. Like today a woman can abort her baby up until it's born. Aren't we so much further along progressively and morally than the Bible was? Well, I would say no. And we've talked about that and we're actually just, you know, now a few weeks after the overturn of Roe v. Wade and we're wrestling through this in a new way as a nation since like we haven't since I was born. Mm-hmm. Um, but so it may be that some of these, the Hebrew scripture actually is better than what we have today. We we just are very arrogant. Like we're very ethnocentric. We're so much better yeah. than these were. But like when we talked about the cleanliness laws, when I teach that to women, most women are like, could we go back to that yeah. whole, yeah. I get, get seven days off. off every month. Mm-hmm. Like, could we yeah. figure that out again? Because mm-hmm. that's better than what we have now. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this, let's let's look at these, the, the rape. Laws. So, yeah. one, did you? Uh, I don't know if you read it already. I haven't but, read it. Okay, yeah. let's read down through some of those. Why don't you go ahead? So, Deuteronomy twenty two twenty eight, I think, is the common one because of the way it's worded. In different versions, uh, use different words, which we'll talk about. But the one that's commonly used is if a man happens to meet a virgin who's not pledged to be married and rapes her, and they are discovered, he shall pay her father fifty shekels of silver. He must marry the young woman for he's violated her and cannot divorce her. Okay. So at face value. Yeah. Not great. But so what's the, um, I mean, I'm, I'm not playing dumb here, but what's the, what is the consider like, what's the frustration? What is it in? That it's, that it's uh force biblically forcing someone to marry their abuser. Okay. So what are, what are you kind of, what are y'all's, like what? What have you learned already about this? What have you seen already? What have you guys seen in your research on it? I mean, I think like we talked about um, last week. I mean, off air, but we were talking about how a lot of it depends on if the word is actually, um, like the English word "rape" is actually translated correctly. In what version were you reading just then? The NIV. The NIV. Yeah, yeah. that's that is really intriguing. Yeah, because. The, the passage does not necessarily, it it might could imply rape, yeah, but it doesn't necessarily imply rape. Mm-hmm. Um, we looked at the, the Hebrew ESV. word there for oh, seizes. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. <coughs> Sorry. Um, that even that word, the word there for seizes, doesn't necessarily mean, it doesn't necessarily mean something violent. 
Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole lot of different potential meaning there that it's it's not necessarily violent. He just it just takes hold of, embraces, can, adopts, adopts was even right. one of the words there. So so when we look at the whole passage, when we do the good hermeneutic, and we say you know let's observe, and then we we interpret, meaning we look at the context, we look at the culture, we look at the oh what's the other word there? Anyway, there's another word that goes there that my you know medicated brain is not going to pull up, but. <laughs> And then we apply it. But if we look back, what you see is the section of Deuteronomy is largely about um, different types of sexual immorality. Um, <clears throat> and so it is a, it's a series of what do you do when someone does handle something badly? And so, for example, early on, if, if a man says he's going to marry a woman, betrothes himself to her, and they actually sleep together... And then for some reason, he's unwilling to marry her. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not very clear about that. But, you know, and they prove, listen, she was a virgin. Like you, we prove she she was a virgin. She waited for you. You guys got married. And now you're not willing to accept her after, after this. And then literally verse 18 says, then the elders of the city will take that man and whip him. So they beat him in the city gates and fine him a hundred shekels of silver and give them to the father of the young woman, because now he's going to be raising this woman, this young woman, continually as his daughter, unless she finds a new husband. Yeah. And so it is, this money goes to the family. And you go like, well, why, why didn't he give the 100 shekels to the woman? Well, she has less freedom to use that money than dad does. And the assumption is dad has her best interest at heart. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that wasn't always true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But now this guy has given her a bad name. Like he's accused her of not being a virgin, but she was... And bam, I mean, they literally oh, drag now, the guy. And now she is not. And now she's not. And they drag her and drag him in front of the whole city and beat him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then make him pay a, a, a small fortune. A uh, yeah. hundred shekels of silver is, is significant. And mm-hmm. so, um, so that's one. And then what's on top of that is if they then prove it, then if she wants to stay married to him, he can't divorce her. Mm-hmm. So if she says, on top of my hundred shekels of silver and on top of you being beaten, I've decided I want to stay in the marriage. If she decides that, then she can stay in the marriage. He's he's not allowed to divorce her. Wow. (laughs) It's fast. The power differential in that marriage is just off the wall, switched all of a sudden, right? Um, Especially culturally. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Now, on the other hand, if it's proven that if they can prove that she was not a virgin and she didn't admit that in advance, then she's guilty of several crimes and she can actually be executed for it. Um, and that's a, because that was a big, big deal because that was what she was supposed to not, she was not supposed to engage sexually until they got married. And by the way, that, that standard was for the men and the women. They weren't supposed to engage sexually until they got married. It's not like women were, men did whatever and women didn't know. Cause the next one is if a man is engaging sexually with someone who he's not married to and they both get caught that, so the next few section of this in this Deuteronomy 22 is not in case of rape, it is the test for rape. Mm. That's what this section of the of scripture is. They're testing for is this a rape situation or not? If it is not a rape situation, if a man and a woman are sleeping together and they one of them cannot marry the other one, but meaning they're married to somebody else, they both die. Mm. So granted, anybody out there who's listening, be like, wow, so God commanded the execution of adulterers. Yes. 
<clears throat> and we might think of that as barbaric today, mm-hmm. and that's fine. We're allowed to think of it as barbaric. I don't know that that's worse than the way we treat sex. What God clearly teaches his people is sex is extremely powerful, can be extremely divisive, can destroy a culture, and so he puts very rigid laws and commandments around it. I, I think the fact that sex can be so destructive and divisive has certainly been proven uh, by our culture. Mm-hmm. So he was trying to protect them from that. Yeah, protect them yeah. from the consequences of this. So, and by the way, at the end of those, he, when he says, so if a man is fine lying with a woman of another man, both of them shall die, the man who lay with the woman and the woman. And listen to this phrase, so you shall purge the evil from Israel. Mm. So it's not just a punishment just of these two people. It is, you you ha- you cannot allow this stuff to get, get loose in Israel. It's like a wildfire. Mm-hmm. Then we run into the tests for rape. So again, that one's clearly consensual. That's consensual adultery. They both die. Then you get the tests for rape, meaning if they're in a city and the woman claims that she was raped, but she didn't cry out, then you don't, you don't believe her. Yeah. And why is that significant for crying out? Right. So the significance is, especially, and girls would have been raised knowing, hey, if somebody starts putting the moves on you and you don't, and you're not for that, all you got to do is cry out because they lived in small, what are called insula cities. Mm-hmm. So they had little cities of little houses of little families. And so it's not like there weren't car noises. There wasn't a lot of noise going on, airplanes flying over, a woman screaming in these areas. I mean, uh, you've been, mm-hmm. I mean, Brian, you've been to these little cities that they had. Yeah, it's pretty quiet. Yeah, I mean, you could have, yeah. if you shouted out in the city, you were going to be heard. A yeah. woman who cried out in a city would have been heard. Mm-hmm. And, she, and, and again, I'm a therapist. Uh, and we go, well, gosh, I mean, today women often don't cry out. Yes, but they're not trained from childhood. If this happens, your job is to cry out. Mm-hmm. That's your only job. Because there will come a rush of people. Like, you'll get rescued from this situation if you cry out. Mm-hmm. And so being trained to do that from childhood, if you cry out, this would be... But if if he does this, if he sleeps with her and she doesn't cry out, that is a test for rape. The assumption is, since you didn't cry out in this culture, it must be consensual, so you can't accuse him of rape. Later. Like, if you didn't cry out then, you can't accuse him later. Right. Yeah. And so that's there. If they're in an open country, listen to this in verse 25. But if in the open country a man meets a young woman who is betrothed, and the man seizes her and lies with her, then only the man who lay with her shall die. So she doesn't die here because it's a test for rape. If you they're in the wilderness, no one, can hear, you. No one mm-hmm. can hear her when she yells. So men know you better not be anywhere near a woman out in the wilderness <laughs> who who has someone to protect her. That You're going to get in huge trouble. Because mm-hmm. all she has to do is accuse you. All she has. Can you imagine? All yeah. she has to do is accuse you. Talk about believe all women. All she has to do is accuse you mm-hmm. and you're dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a, that's pretty significant. Um, and so that's a that's a highly protected in the city. All she has to do is cry out. Outside the city, all she has to do is accuse. Yeah. yeah. So, so this is the context leading up to this verse. Leading up to it, yeah. right. <laughs> so just knowing this, we're, we're now we're up at verse 27. Um, so verse 27 explains it, because he met her in the open country, and though the betrothed young woman cried for help, there was no one to rescue her. Mm-hmm. So again, those are tests for rape. Now listen to this. So let's go to verse 28. If a man meets a virgin who is not betrothed and seizes her... And lies with her, and what's the next word there? They are found. They are found. 
The implication clearly in that language is that they are found. This is consensual. Mm -hmm. It's not he's caught. It's that they are found. It's the same language that's used up before when you're talking about adultery. Mm -hmm. That is a, this is a, both of them shall die. So in this case, you've got a, a virgin who's not betrothed and they, she and her boyfriend, her lover, who whatever, they get caught. Now, notice they don't both die. So that would be the consequence for both of them, should be that they both die if she's betrothed. Mm -hmm. And so this is a situation where it's almost like a young couple in love gets caught in the backseat of the car. You don't kill them. It's an, this, is, this, is an, 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 this is the one time we don't count this. So what we do instead is you make them get married. Right. Mm. Like you so, pay the bride price. You pay the bride price. And, and it's, by the way, it's 50 shekels. It's not the hundred from before, by the mm -hmm. way. It's, it's not as big a penalty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> they don't die and they pay 50 shekels. If this was a situation that was rape, of course he would be killed. Mm -hmm. We've already covered those. Right. right. And so the only difference that you could point out is that you have betrothed and not betrothed. Mm -hmm. And that has to do with the relationship to the dad and the relationship to a new husband and the relationship to the community. Mm-hmm. But she's not betrothed. The assumption here is if it's rape, he's going to be killed. If it's not rape, we don't want to kill them. They're just probably kids in love. Mm -hmm. And so they, they probably, listen, it's time to grow up, boys and girls. Y'all decide to sleep together. You get to pay the bide price. And now you get to marry her. And mm -hmm. you can't divorce her. And oh, you don't get yeah. to divorce her. Yeah, yeah that's exactly right. <laughs> Which is wild because even looking up, not even looking up the Greek, but just looking up. Hebrew. Um, excuse me. Yeah, That's what I meant. Hebrew. Um, just looking up like the English standard version, all the words that were previously there in the right. NIV are, are changed. It right. seizes and lies with her and they are found. And then the man who lay with her shall give her father. So it's like all of the violates rape, like all those words are different, even in that. Those are interpretational decisions, not just translation decisions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's a reason and please excuse this, but in, yeah. in, in academic circles, it, the NIV is often not treated as seriously. It's a great version to read, but just know if you run into something that you go, well, <laughs> wait, what is that? There's a good chance it's an NIV decision. And in academic circles, sometimes the NIV is, you know, the, the nearly inspired version is what yeah. they called it at seminary. <laughs> Those are the fighting words <clears throat> for Or the some not people. inspired version yes. is actually <laughs> what some people called it. Not um, to... Because Bible translation, we've talked about that. Bible translation is hard, yeah. and you're making yeah. decisions. But that's why I tell people, it doesn't matter until you run into a passage like that and you go, wait a minute. There's another passage. I don't remember if we referenced this on air last time. I don't think so. That's one of the weirdest passages in the Old Testament where if two men are fighting and a woman gets involved in the fight, and in an effort to protect her man, she grabs the other man's testicles... And then it says, you you know, it, it goes like, here's what you do about that. And in, and her punishment is to have her hand cut off. Yeah. And you're like, wait, whoa, wait, what? Hold That's, on. That doesn't she was fit protecting. With, yeah. That doesn't fit with anything else in Scripture. Like, yeah. there's no other, none of that anywhere else. And so that's the one that Paul Copen really spends time unpacking and okay. explaining that the, another way to understand the Hebrew language, and Hebrew is very hard, uh, boys and girls, but... Um, understand the Hebrew language there is because the word for hand is not the Hebrew word that's used there. It's the word palm. And, and the word palm is a euphemism for a woman's privates because it's shaped, they're, they're oh, shaped kind of like a palm. This. Was yeah. it on air? I think 
Maybe. I don't, I don't know. know. Anyway, I don't know. couldn't remember if it was before or after we were still on. Anyway. Well, this is, it, but, if anything, it's good to reiterate so we can understand. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And the word cut is not the word for slice, it's the word for shave. Yeah. And so it's very likely that the word there, that the actual punishment is that her privates get shaved, which would obviously be humiliating, but that would be a great, a much more just consequence. Listen, you grabbed another man by his privates. Mm-hmm. The punishment is your privates get shaved and you get to be reminded, keep your hands off of other people's privates, even in a situation like that. <laughs> but a translational decision was made at some point. Interesting. You cut off their hand and... And a much, I actually, Copen totally convinced me as I read through it because I was resisting him on this, but he convinced me like, no, wow. this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. So that's why when you, again, when you're reading through the Sermon on the Mount, man, ju- just enjoy it and read it. But when you get to some of this deep stuff, when you read something, you go, I just, I don't know. That mm-hmm. sounds, that seems weird or wrong. Now, someone listening could go, listen to them explain away. Yeah. I'm right. not explaining away the fact there are plenty of things. Yeah. That, that are tough for me. I have a hard one, even though in its day, it is shocking how progressive it is. But in Deuteronomy 21 is where you get the rules for what do you do with a woman that you take captive in war? Yeah. And <clears throat> now what you, what every other army in the entire world did through today, by the way, I mean, we just read about the Russian atrocities. This is 2022, and Russian soldiers are raping and pillaging Mm -hmm. in Ukraine. Four to 5,000 years ago, the laws for the Hebrew Hebrew soldiers were, Hebrew soldiers were not allowed to rape women in combat. Mm -hmm. It was not allowed. There was no pillaging and raping. That was not allowed. And so it was like forbidden. Well, oh my gosh, no one did that 4,000 years. That was an incredible standard that, again, most, most armies today can't maintain. I mean, it can't do. And so it's so far ahead of its time. And yet, as it continues to tell the story, it's really a wild one. We won't spend a lot of time here, but so when a guy, a guy is in combat and he sees a beautiful woman, her husband's dead. And so how do we, what do we do? I mean, husband's dead. We can leave her to starve, but man, I kind of like her. I think I do. So listen to God's instructions. It's great. (laughs) So you see among the captives a beautiful woman. I love the assumption there. I mean, she's probably beautiful if you're going to be willing to go through all this. And you desire to take her to be your wife. Listen to this. You bring her to her home. She shaves her head and pairs her nails. So she cuts her nails back and shaves her head. Immediately doing what to her? Self. Making her less Less attractive. attractive. Immediately. So the first thing you're going to do is figure out, listen, was this just... Like a momentary... A momentary, like yeah. this is the lust of battle. And you're like, man, she's incredible. I want to... Okay, you're going to get to know this woman, Mm. and then you're going to have a decision to make. So she takes off the clothes that she was captured in, remains in your house to lament her father and her mother for a full month. Mm -hmm. You can't have anything to do with her. After that, you may go into her and be her husband, and she shall be your wife. So you've got to take this strange woman from another another land, bring her into her house, de-beautify her, and have her live with you for a month in mourning, Mm-hmm. By the way, probably not the happy chipper woman who you are. Mm-hmm. Now, again, keep in mind her other options are mm-hmm. death, yeah. begging, prostitution, or to be picked up by an enemy soldier. You know, all, all the other options are much worse. But again, I, I'm not excusing the. Right. Uh, this is still tough. But after a month, if you want to be with her, you still can't rape her. Right. You have to marry her. Yeah. And by the way, if you do, after the month, you go. Instead of I want to be her wife, I'm like, uh, I'm rethinking this. Like, uh, she doesn't speak my language. 
She doesn't have my religion. You know, with all her hair gone. She got a big mole on the back of her head. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, And you decide not. You let her go. You can't sell her for money. You can't treat her like a slave. None of that. Mm. You have to set her totally free. Wow. Now, again, in today's world, would we go, "Ah, Yeah, that's kind of weird. I mean, apparently most armies in the world still can't do something this good. Mm -hmm. Right. But as as would we go, gosh, codifying it in the law like this seems so strange. Why would God allow a man to capture a woman in combat? In fact, I've got to do this just real quick for the context. I know I'm talking a lot, but... You're fine. Um... Slavery is another one of these that we run into, and maybe we'll come back to it. Yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah, it's on the list. Okay, good. But keep in mind what (coughs) we picture, we think of Southern antebellum racial-based slavery Mm -hmm. um, in America. And and, uh, and that's not at all what's being talked about. You you literally are talking about someone coming in that's probably, their other options are, are horrible, and instead saying, hey, would you be willing to take me on as a servant? Um, we'll talk about that more when we get there. But again, for its day, this is ridiculously generous. There are no laws, anything like that protect women from rape, mm-hmm. like Deuteronomy 21 and 22, that that have a, a rational rape test that can be legally tested and that puts the woman in a position to be believed in. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can interpret them very darkly if you intend to. Yeah. But if you come at it recognizing, what if what if this is not interpreted that way and I want to interpret it the other way? It works just fine the way I just interpreted it as well. Mm-hmm. So is it possible that a woman is being forced to marry her rapist? Technically, with the language, that is a possible interpretation or translation. But it's not the only one. And in my opinion, it's not the best one. Not likely. Yeah. And, yeah. And it doesn't, mm-hmm. and again, it doesn't fit with a lot of the other stuff. It doesn't fit right. with the rest of that, even that passage. Yeah. Right. Opinion. So, which is really helpful. There you go. That's a lot, I know, but no, it's good though. I think that's helpful. Yeah. Um, because if it, if it was strongly, clearly encouraging that, that would have a lot of implications. Yeah. You know, I think so, so too. Yeah. Um, great. Are we ready to move yeah. towards the New Testament? So then transitioning into the New Testament, which, as we said in the beginning, I think... In the beginning is in the Old Testament. In the... It's the very <laughs> No, beginning. sorry. Well, I in, meant, the, in the beginning was the word. As we said in the That's beginning oh, of this little... Shots fired. He's exactly right. It's <laughs> in the New Testament I'm and the Old Testament. Him. But yeah, so now... So we're moving... And by over. the way, if you have questions about the Hebrew laws or whatever, oh, send yes, them in. We, we'll cover any of the Please. ones that you want to have covered. Yeah, yeah that would so, be great. Yeah. That's so, good. Carry on. New um, Testament. No, I was saying, as we said at the beginning of this conversation specifically... Um, the a lot of the understanding of this when it comes to bigger picture is seeing how Jesus specifically the laws that he um, brings up again and the things that he emphasizes because like we talked about before a lot of the Old Testament has been fulfilled or was specific to Jewish culture and so to to figure out what Jesus thinks and what God's standards are for us today a lot of that takes us looking at what Jesus taught. And so that's what we were going to move into and then just into kind of the New Testament when it comes to women specifically. Um, And so I think it's helpful to start, like we said before, with the culture that Jesus um, was 
born into the Jewish, Greek, and Roman culture all did not treat women particularly well. Right. And so, um, and so just starting with that and then understanding that Jesus was very countercultural in many, many ways, um, with how he lived and what he taught. And so, and I think it's cool just seeing, um, kind of as an overview of the way that Jesus did teach on these things, but also just the way that he interacted without even having to say anything, um, spoke volumes about his view of women because it was viewed as shocking and, and is recorded as shocking to his disciples and the Pharisees and Sadducees. Um, and not just his interaction with women in general, or upstanding women, but scandalous women right? who would have tainted his reputation as a religious teacher. Did taint his reputation. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and just by being around them and associating with them, correct? Right. His wasn't yeah, just... by not chasing them off or... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and traveling with them and um, speaking with them. And so there are so many examples. I don't know if we want to go into specifics, but... Pick a couple. Yeah, um, Do you have a couple of favorites? Yeah, I think... I think the Samaritan woman mm-hmm. is a really common one, but I think breaking it down is helpful because understanding that there are so many layers of of um, just kind of the forbidden nature of that woman or the outcast nature right. of that woman when it comes to mm-hmm. just the Samaritans in general being a people that a lot of the Jews viewed as outcasts because they had been Jewish people that had married with non-Jewish people and they would not even walk through their town culturally because um, they didn't want to associate with them. And so Jesus from the beginning walks through Samaria Samaria, and, and then (sighs) this woman, so not only is she Samaritan, but she's an outcast even in Samaria. And so she is outcast even among her own people um, because of the way that she has lived and Jesus takes time out of his, I mean, you imagine all the people in this area and then he takes time to go to Samaria and then of all the people in Samaria takes time to speak to this one woman and speaks with her alone, which is also scandalous, but just takes time to show her value and speak into her story and tell her, I know your story. I know who you are and give her hope Yeah, is phenomenal. Like it's, it's, Amazing. But when his disciples come back and see him speaking with her, they're like, what are you doing? Right. (laughs) Um, Yeah. They apparently stand there awkwardly while he finishes his conversation with her. Yeah. But keep in mind, we just read the Deuteronomy laws. He's not in the city. Right. And he's talking to a woman who is with a man. I mean, this could get him killed. Right. If she accuses him of rape, he could be executed for it. Now, Mm. it's a Samaria. I don't know if Samaria was at that time following the Deuteronomy laws or not. I don't know if anyone knows because they had their own temple and their own sacrifices and kind of their own laws. But I don't know if they're following those or not, but this just shows you what Jesus was willing to do in order to yeah, help redeem this perspective, woman. perspective, you'd be like, regardless of where we are, right? this could be bad for you. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. Huh? Yeah. yeah. So that's one that stands out. I don't know if there's any other part of that story that um, no, I think, I'm missing. Uh, but, yeah. but just <clears throat> you see that throughout the whole life of, or the whole ministry of Jesus yep. is him taking time to, to spend with or heal or invite, you know, even women who traveled with him, yep. women who, A, they were women, and then B, sometimes they weren't even women that were um, culturally respected at all. Right. 
and he communicates value to them and takes time to teach them as well as men. Right. Which, you know, even his conversation with Mary, he allows her, you know, Martha's up serving and yep, rushing Mary and around. Martha, yep. And Mary, Martha, the sisters, and he even praises Mary for taking time away from working and serving him. Right. <laughs> like Martha is just because she wants to sit at his feet and learn from him. Yep. And um, instead of saying like, what are you doing? This is for the men. Like go, right, go exactly. serve. Um, and just like the kindness that he interacts with women over and over again is very countercultural. And I think we miss that often because of the culture that we're in. It doesn't stand out to us unless we stop to think about it. Right. It's fascinating that we never see him join anyone in sin, mm-hmm. and yet he is willing to to engage with what his culture would have considered sinners with dignity, mm-hmm. um, and which which is the Christian ethic, the Judeo Christian ethic. But but a lot of people weren't doing that then. Mm-hmm. So whether whether it's the a lot Phoenician of us aren't woman, doing it very well now, right? Exactly. I so mean. the the Phoenician woman who asks for healing, mm-hmm. um, or the woman who breaks the vase or breaks the, the jar of nard over him. And mm-hmm. I mean, these are, some of these are scandalous interactions in the culture. I mean, the, the Pharisees he's having dinner with are freaking out. Yeah. Probably would have stood up and screamed and yelled when the woman broke the, started washing his feet with her tears. And yet Jesus accepts this as an act of worship mm-hmm. and pre- preparation for his burial. Right. Um, isn't it fascinating that women get to prepare him for the burial and then the women are the ones who come to prepare his body only to discover that he's been raised. Right. Like even, even the dignity that women are given as witnesses. That's, yeah, as, that was my other favorite oh, was, one. Yeah. No, it's no, keep going. wild that <coughs> this, the, the Christian New Testament treats women as very much so equal in value, equal in significance, equal in importance mm-hmm. to the men. The gospels are big about that. And I don't, mm-hmm. you know, it's always wild to me that you have, he, even the lineage of Jesus emphasizes women either emphasizes a handful of women who are not either not Jewish right, or who are questionable in their reputation. Right. And those are just, they're not hidden. They're not, right. they're, they're emphasized. Right. And, and it's just, it's crazy to consider if someone was inventing a religion, you would never, never, never yes. do that. You would never put these women in his lineage, you would never tell their stories. You would never make them significant. You would in never his make stories. them the first witnesses <clears throat> to Jesus' resurrection. Exactly. Because they wouldn't, wouldn't have been, women weren't taken as a reputable witness in court, right? Right, right. And so if you were, yeah, like you're saying, if you were just creating this or fabricating it, you never would have had women be the first ones to see That's him right. be raised. Yeah, they go back and get the men, and the men. You know, the men go back to to go check it out, but they're even more confused. I mean, the women really are the ones who saw him. And seem to believe quicker. <laughs> oh, yeah. Than mm-hmm. the men. Yeah, Mary's the Mary Magdalene, the Mary, the one from Magdala. Mm-hmm. And she's very much so the first. And she was, um, though at some point a pope decided she was a prostitute. That's actually not in the Bible. Interesting. Um, but she was, uh, she was uh, demon possessed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point. And so um, it's, that's a, again, a fascinating interaction there that that's who he's got but keep in mind when he goes home to nazareth that the people of nazareth refer to him as the son of joseph Mm -hmm. so apparently they didn't buy mary's whole conceived by the holy spirit story back home um and so mary would have been a woman of ill repute probably her whole life as well Mm -hmm. um so if the people didn't buy joseph joseph and mary's story then they they would have assumed well it's probably joseph's kid 
And so I know they're telling this whole, <laughs> the angel came story, like wink, wink, nudge, nudge, an angel showed up and conceived by the Holy Spirit. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, Mary probably lived her whole life under the shadow of that scandal. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, I didn't even think <clears throat> that. Some, pers- some people have said that's probably why there was, quote, no room for her at the end. There's no, that, that's all, we now know that's all apocryphally wrong. There was, there was no space for her in the guest room. Mm-hmm. Um, it may be, be more to do with their reputation than anything else is that like, uh, no, gosh, we just assume you not give birth to the child that you conceived out of wedlock mm-hmm. here in our home. And so we really don't know the, the details there, but um, I mean, Jesus may have been raised by a woman who, whose reputation was, was tough. So wow. it's pretty rough. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you see that very clearly in Jesus's work. He doesn't overturn the gender roles. He doesn't overturn the status quo of all of that. He just, within the cultural context, he treats everybody with with dignity and, and compassion, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which, again, gives us our example. That's, that's pretty cool. And also, just as a side note, I think it's a great conviction for believers because often it seems for all of time have had a confusion between engaging in sin and loving others who are living differently than we are. Mm -hmm. And I don't like saying loving the sinner because we're all sinners, but, um, but wanting, and even when it comes to like different demographics or social status, like we're terrible as humans about wanting to be associated with people who somehow are viewed as an outcast by our little right. subculture. And every subculture has groups that are not right. cool to hang out with. <laughs> yep. And and we often associate it is for some reason still so hard for believers to understand the difference between, you know, condoning sin and engaging in it and loving other people well and engaging with them. That's right. Like not just holding them at an arm's length. And I think this is a great example of that. But anyway. And it's, it's part of why modern identity politics, while it's a, it's a fascinating thing to learn about and to understand the history of and to see how that stuff plays into things, it's never going to integrate well with Christianity that our fundamental identity is found in our ethnicity mm. or is found in our social status or is found in our whatever, Mm-mm. because Jesus transitioned between those so easily, interacting mm-hmm. with people who were culturally the top the very, very top of the heap, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, and he has no problem with them. I mean, he engages with, uh, um, oh, all of a sudden, again, my brain, who's who's he talking to in John 3? Nicodemus. Uh, Nicodemus, thank you. <laughs> right. Um, good old Nicodemus. Um, yeah, Nicodemus, <laughs> who is a probably a wealthy, top-ranking yeah. Pharisee, yeah. and and before and after is talking with, you know, the woman at the weather. The, so the, these people mm-hmm. who he's interacting with, he... He, his identity is not found in ethnicity or sociology. It's found in mm-hmm. the or fact gender. that all humans yeah. are, yeah, all yeah. humans are created in the image of God and are worthy of being treated with dignity and respect. And so he does. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that those differentiations aren't there or don't matter. It just right. means that e- everyone's equal regardless. That's right. yeah. in, that, in that sense, they're all the same. And so right. it's fascinating to see him do that for us so well and model that for us. Mm-hmm. But we're running out of time here, and we yeah. need to get to. There's a num- numbers of n- a number of places, numerous places. Yeah. I'm trying to say both those words at the same time. Numerous, n- numerous places, <laughs> um, where uh, where Paul talks about 
cultural context when it comes mm-hmm. to the role of women and the role of women in church and things like that. And mm-hmm. we probably ought to talk about those if we're going to talk yeah. about them all being sexist. Yeah, that's we'll have great. to do that next yeah. time. Yeah, and if you have any questions regarding these specific things or things that are just have been hiccups for you that we haven't covered yet, uh, please send us an email, let us know, and thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructed Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people to find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up. Trust God. Search for answers.